This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and today we have a very inspiring, passionate, just just an awesome guest today, and Gabby Dalkin. Gabby is a trained chef, recipe developer, entrepreneur, and food lifestyle writer based in Los Angeles. Her blog, whatsgabbycooking.com, features original recipes and images along with highlights from Gabby's life and travels. In April 2020, Gabby released her third cookbook, What's Gabby Cooking? Eat What You Want, 125 Recipes for Real Life. The cookbook follows the success of her 2018 cookbook, What's Gabby Cooking? Everyday California Food, which debuted as the number one bestseller on Amazon in the U.S. regional California cooking. While Gabby initially planned to follow a pre-med track in college, she quickly found herself gravitating toward business and marketing. As a tennis player at St. Mary's College, Gabby began cooking in between classes and practice sessions expanding her repertoire beyond the chicken parmesan she'd perfected during high school. Following graduation, a short stint in a marketing and public relations company, she enrolled in culinary school, then pastry school, and simultaneously launched her blog, What's Gabby Cooking?, to document her adventures and recipes. She subsequently began working as a private chef, catching the eye of high-profile clients and celebrities with her creative dishes, and entertaining ideas. In the spring of 2013, Gabby debuted her first cookbook, Absolutely Avocados, an ode to her passion for avocados. In 2017, Gabby partnered with Williams Sonoma to launch a line of multi-use salsas and her popular guacamole starter, which has since grown, to include a line of seasonings, infused oils, cheese boards, cocktail mixers, and more. Gabby resides in Los Angeles with her husband, Thomas, and in her free time, Gabby enjoys being active, traveling the world, and exploring cultures through food. Gabby, welcome to the program. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Now, we go a ways back. Uh, I met you when you were a teenager because you were playing (laughs) tennis at St. Mary's College on the tennis team as my son Dan was as well. And then Dan and your boyfriend then and husband now, Thomas, were uh, doubles partners. And and then Dan was a groomsman at your wedding. So uh, we go back a little ways. Way, way back to 2008. Yeah. And I feel feel special because I feel like I knew you before you were famous. And so... uh, Oh, my gosh. So (laughs) it it was easy back then to see the passion and the confidence uh, when you were in college. But, man, you're just killing it now. You're just doing awesome. Thank you. That's very nice of you. I'm I'm having a good time. That's awesome. So how crazy is it that an extremely picky eater as a kid grows up to be a chef and an expert on great food followed by hundreds of thousands of people on Instagram and other social mediums? Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Um, 
I don't know. I don't really know what happened, but I just remember in culinary school, which is where I went after college. Um, I remember my instructor saying, listen, if you can't learn to wrap your mind around mushrooms or whatever else it is, you're never going to make it in the food world. And I was like, okay, personal challenge accepted. And here we are. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now you were brave, driven, you know, maybe a little naive to think you could accomplish your dream yet. Here you are. You must be very proud of what you've accomplished. Yeah, I mean, I went into it not really knowing what was possible. I mean, I feel like in the digital space, everything is new. Like, there was no one that did this ahead of me because the space didn't exist. Um, so I just kind of went in and forged my own path, and it it took many twists and turns, and it is where it is today. But I feel like it's been a real learning process, and it's been cool to evolve as technology evolves. So it's been it's been a wild ride. Now you grew up playing tennis as a kid, and then went on to play competitive tennis at a Division One college. So how did that training and discipline prepare you for what you're doing now? Yeah, I feel like tennis has always been a big part of my life. Um, I had a mental toughness coach. I mean, he was my regular tennis coach in middle school and high school, but he also specialized in mental toughness. And I feel like that's been huge for me just in terms of how I run my business. Like I was taught at a very young age that no one's going to do anything for you. And if you want to win a match, you got to do it yourself. And you, there's no coaching in tennis. So you have to, you know, adapt during changeovers and all those different things. And so I feel like that compared with being competitive has been an integral part in my growth. Um, and, and also being a team player, like I, tennis is a very individual sport, but when I got to college and I, all of a sudden I had a team and all these different things, I had to learn how to work with different people and, you know, listen to different feedback. So it's all been, I think it's all definitely helped me get to where I am today. Yeah. I, I it's, it's interesting. Uh, when we look at uh, our paths, I heard you on another podcast uh, say that as an A student, uh, you got an F in organic chemistry in college. Oh yeah, and, that was a rude awakening. And I can relate because uh, I uh, somehow, somehow eked out a passing grade in the organic chemistry, but it almost tripped up my goals. And uh, oh my god, it was that's it's such a shitty class. That's a crazy <laughs> class, I tell you. I don't have the uh, the right uh, mental uh, framework to to do well in that class. That's for sure. <laughs> now I understood that you took a job after you graduated from college but it didn't really work out. What happened? Yeah. So after college, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I just knew I wanted to move down to Los Angeles. My boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband already lived here. And so I took a job in this kind of fashion marketing world, working in the marketing department of a very small startup company. And it was actually a really educational process for the six months I was there. Six months after I started, the whole company basically folded. This was back in 2008 when there was a recession and all that. I lost my job right out of college. And that was a huge shock to me because I wasn't, I didn't know what else to do. And instead of getting another job right away, I decided to take my time 
and figure out what my next path was going to be. And so I went to culinary school and I went to culinary school with no intention of actually going into the food space full time as a career, but more as I wanted to learn how to cook for myself and for Thomas and my friends and my family. And I just wanted to be more comfortable in the kitchen. So I went to culinary I went to culinary school instead of getting another job. Now, that's crazy. So many young people don't know what they want to do with their lives, and, and most of them are afraid to, to take a risk like you took. So how do you justify to yourself and those uh, who loved you it was the right thing to do at the time? Yeah, I think, well, at that point, I was I was planning on getting like a part-time job while I was in culinary school so I could still make an income and pay my rent and pay for my groceries, and I wasn't going to have to ask my mom and dad to put me back on the bank of mom and dad plan and anything like that. So, I, I mean, for me, it was just, I was still so young. I was 21 at the time. I had so much, you know, time ahead of me that I knew that if I, if I tried this and it didn't work, I could very easily go find a job in any other, you know, area. It wasn't going to be an issue. I was young and employable. So I think I just went for it. I've also never been one to shy away from trying something new. And I like to challenge myself. So culinary school was definitely a challenge. And then the fact that I had never really eaten much besides butter noodles and grilled cheese. So the whole experience in and of itself was challenging. And then to go cook for a family, I actually cooked for a family of six before I went and did celebrities, but they had all sorts of different dietary restrictions and whatnot. So that was just like trial by literal fire cooking for all of those. So it was all, it was all a challenge to me, but it was really exciting. And then when I went in to cook for Jessica Simpson, this was a walk in the park because Jessica actually eats incredibly similar to how I eat, which is, you know, very farmer's market focused with the occasional like Tex-Mex indulgent, you know, enchilada situation. So she was a breeze, like not to mention like she's the most lovely, kind person in the world. There were a few other people I cooked for for like a week or two here and there in between that were like crazy demanding or like big celebrities that had no personality and not very fun to cook for. And I very quickly left doing that because when you're in someone's kitchen, I feel like the kitchen's such the heart of the home. And if, if the people aren't happy in the home, it's not a fun place to be in the kitchen. (laughs) Now where and uh, how have mentors influenced your journey along the way? Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate to have a couple mentors throughout my career. A couple, one that I found early on, and a couple that I found later on, probably from 2018 and beyond. Um, and they don't, they don't even necessarily, they're not even in the food world. They're just like really incredible, savvy business women who I look to for life advice, business advice just someone to lean on when I need to run ideas by. It's been incredible. I feel so fortunate to have that sounding board also paired with my parents who, while they are not in the business and food world, really, I mean, they're both in, you know, my mom's a PT and my dad's a doctor. I feel like having this wide array of people with different specialties around me, I feel so fortunate to be able to lean on that group of humans. That's cool. Now, uh, I also hear that you're a big uh, Ina Garten fan. So what is it about her that resonates with you? 
I mean, Ina is the queen. She is the OG queen of food. The woman can entertain like no one's business. She loves to throw a party and drink a martini. And I feel like we would be good friends in real life. So, I mean, one day maybe I'll get invited to her Hamptons abode and we can have, you know, tea and crumpets and cookies and cocktails and all those things. I just think she, I think she really knew what she wanted um, you know, she came from a very different career before she went into food and she figured it out. And now she runs a massive, like, I mean, I don't even know how big her team is, but she's just created an incredible brand for herself. Yeah, well, I think that invitation is just a matter of time. So uh, be, be mean, ready. let's hope so. <laughs> be ready. <laughs> now, you seem to be a, just a natural at building your brand. How did you know how to do that? Great question. Um, you know, I didn't know back in the day, but when I, it was very, it, what's got me cooking was a real slow roll from, let's see, 2010 until 2014, 2015. And it was really just a hobby for me while I was also private chefing. And when I moved away from private chefing full time and to do what's got me cooking, I took a hard look at what I was doing, what people were responding to, how I could be of service to them, and I studied it. And it wasn't until I really took the time to do that that I figured out, oh, this is what people want. And then I could, you know, really focus my content creation on giving my fans and my audience what they're looking for. And I think that helped me build my brand. I also think another big thing for me was video when Snapchat came out. I don't even remember when Snapchat came out, but I was one of the first users in, of Snapchat for the food world. And you got to connect via video face-to-face -face with people watching you. Like they could see your face on their phone and watch you cook something from start to finish. And that was a huge brand builder for me because nobody else was doing it. So, you know, I think, I think building the brand really comes down to figuring out what your audience is looking for and being an early adapter of technology and, you know, sharing your specialty in a way that is unique to you. So now you are active on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Snapchat. Which one works best for you? And what do you enjoy the most about using those platforms? Um, they're all so different. My favorite definitely is Instagram, uh, usually Insta Stories and Instagram Live. I do an Insta Live every Monday with Thomas, actually, my husband. He kind of moderates the whole thing and asks me questions that people are you know, asking live and I cook something start to finish. I like, I like Instagram best, the best because it gives me the most connection with people. Um, Twitter, I use more for news or snarky one-liners or I get a little political on there, which I don't on my other channels. And then Facebook, Facebook is a little bit of an older demographic for me. And Pinterest is just like part of, part of my job. Like it's just, you know, that's just part of, having an online company. And how do you, how do you monetize the platforms uh, and your brand? Yeah. So for me, none of those platforms, well, Instagram, I could monetize individually, but I don't really monetize Facebook, Twitter, or Pinterest. All of those for me are traffic drivers to my website, which is something monetized. Like I have ads on my website. I work with sponsors on my website, which is how I work with people on brands on Instagram as well. Like people, 
I, I probably turn down 90% of the offers I get to work with brands because I don't think they're a good fit or it's not the right scope of work or whatnot. But the 10% that I do work with are companies that I feel really strongly like I love their brand. I would support them either way. And I know my audience is going to resonate, you know, their brand's going to resonate with them too. So I can be an added value in that sense also. Are, are those brands reaching out to you then? They see your, uh, you know, your, your following and, and, and want you on board? Yeah, I would say probably, yeah. I mean, by this point, I've been doing this since 2010. So, you know, everyone who runs these marketing, marketing and PR companies, they've, I think they've all heard about me before. So whenever they bounce around to new companies and new brands, they take their roster with them. So yeah, most brands reach out to me directly. It's very rare that we do like a cold call or something like that. And so who handles all that? Do you handle it personally or do you have a, a company or a support team to help you with that? Yeah. So I brought on a management team back in, gosh, let's see, 2014, maybe 2014 feels right. And so I have a manager. She has a team of, you know, assistants that she works with and they handle all my branded content Anything that's a collaboration with a brand where money is exchanged, they handle it. They do all the contracts. They do all the scopes of work, all that kind of stuff. So I really just get to interface with the brand as the creative. A lot of quote-unquote influencers, which is not my favorite word to use, but I don't have a better word to use at this time, um, don't interface with the brands at all just because that's like typically a manager just does it all for you, hands you a scope of work, and then you get to go do your work. I like insist on getting on calls with every brand before we start anything. So we can talk about their goals, my goals, how we're going to work together as a team, because I never want no amount of money is worth, you know, I, I, I never want them to pay me X number of dollars and not be happy with the product. So I think it's really important to get on the phone and talk to these brands and companies about what their goals are and how I can help them get there. And how, how does one get on TV? I know early on you started on TV and everyone who wants to do that, but few ever get to it. So how did you get on TV? Yeah, I mean, I've never had my own show. Um, one day, maybe, who knows? That's all I wanted when I originally started West Gobby Cooking. But now I feel like it, we kind of have our own show on online, like on Instagram and on my website. So it's we have full control over that. I would be very hesitant before I signed on with a network because all of a sudden you're not in control. But we've done, I mean, I've been on the Today Show a number of times. I've been on tons of morning shows. I don't I can't even count. But for me, it was all about, you know, it really picked up when my audience was big enough. My books, they, you have to have something exciting to talk about. Like I've had books come out the last couple of years that are great PR opportunities and then being great on camera. Like it's really interesting because the people that are booking you to be on Kelly and Ryan and the today show and all these different things, like they want to have cool people on their show, but they also need someone who's good on camera. Who's not going to freeze or stutter or be awkward. So they have a tough job trying to fill those spaces with people who are going to resonate with their brands, have a cool story to tell and are good on camera. Yeah, now you have talked openly about this before, but uh, your followers love that you are who you are, and you often shoot your videos in sweatshirts, uh, little makeup, if any, and and you just go for it. So what makes yeah, I you? Yeah, don't like getting dressed. <laughs> what makes you comfortable <laughs> to just go as as if we were all living in your home? 
Yeah, I just feel like it's authentic. Like it is who I am. Like when I put on makeup and I have like full hair and makeup and I'm dressed and all these things, like it's great. I have so much fun. I love getting dressed up, but that's not how anyone actually cooks. Like you're cooking at home in your slippers, sweatpants. You're trying to get dinner on the table for your family very quickly. And who cares what you look like? So I feel like for me, I want to really drive that home because that's part of my brand. So I'm not going to spend time doing two hours of hair and makeup or something before we get started. Yeah, well, you pull it off beautifully. It's just it looks and feels so natural. I'm I'm sure that's part of the appeal. Now, this is a podcast on leadership, as you know, and uh, I know that you have a team that you work with. You have Matt and Adam and and Mm -hmm. Thomas. And how would you describe your leadership style with your team? Um, Great question. I would say we have built a team at What's Gobby Cooking where everyone has different superpowers and is good at different things. And I let that person run the show for for that division. For example, Matt is a photographer and creative director. Like I just let him do it. Like it's his vision, what the images are going to look like. And Thomas, as far as the tech goes, like he knows better than me how to run my website and how to build my website and how things should function. And so we all kind of stay in our lane when it comes to our roles and it's been incredibly successful thus far. Now, it's always a little dicey working with your spouse, and and, yeah. I, and I know you tried to get him to come on board long before he actually did. So yes. how do you make that work and not risk the love relationship you have? So for the first month of Thomas coming on, I would say the first four weeks was rocky because we didn't have defined roles. We were working in the same space, and it was just like too much together time. But eventually, we moved to different sides of the house. And we kind of defined our roles. And so we didn't really talk to each other from nine to five. Like he was doing his thing. I was doing my thing. We'd come together if we needed to for 20 minutes here and there. But because we have such different roles, you know, we might as it's fine. Like it's been great for us because we have totally different needs for, we both have things to get done that do not need each other during the day. Now I'm trying to imagine a day in the life of Gabi. Now, you're yeah. making videos every day, you write cookbooks, you create recipes, you continue to hone your brand on social media. How can you possibly do it all? I mean, I don't sleep much. No, I'm just kidding. I sleep eight hours a night. <laughs> um, I just, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm never actually working because I love what I do so much. So I work a lot. Like, I will be the first to admit that. I don't remember the last time I took a day off even when we're in hiking in Patagonia or like safariing in South Africa, like I'm still on my phone, you know, in the evenings or on breaks, doing emails, updating my website, whatever it is. But I love what I do so much. It doesn't bother me. And I think my family and my friends understand that now. So they are very good about giving me the space to be able to continue to run my business from wherever we are in the world. And so how do you take a day off? I mean, uh, assuming that, uh, you know, this is, we're recording this during COVID-19, which uh, means you're at home. Mm-hmm. But if you were traveling, do you stockpile videos to, to save uh, when you need them so sure. that you can send out some content? Yeah, so we do. We shoot everything ahead of time. So we shoot video and the blog content, like static recipe content, three or four weeks ahead of time so we can schedule that and go out. But the social media part of it never stops. Like once something goes live, I will promote it 
on all my channels every day and I will be on stories. And if I'm not sharing my content on stories, I'm sharing what we're doing for that day, no matter where we are in the world. So like, I don't, but I, I don't like, if I'm going to take a day off, I have to leave my phone somewhere. Like I just can't have it with me because it's very easy for me to check in and shoot a couple emails off or create some off the cuff Instagram story content if I have my phone on me. So I have to be very intentional if I'm going to go for a walk or I want to spend time with my family, I just leave my phone in a different room or I turn it off for a couple hours so I can be very present. Now, since you do welcome people into your home, you have also been very transparent and honest with your struggles to complete a pregnancy and have children. So Mm -hmm. why lay it all out there and share those deeply personal things in your life? Well, so I shared the pregnancy stuff because everybody and their mother was asking me when we were going to have a child. Like it came up on every Insta Live, (laughs) every time I'd go to a book signing. And it honestly didn't bother me because I know deep down people are just excited for Thomas and I because like it, like I get it, like a little Thomas running around would be very cute. (laughs) But, But I also think you know, like not every, this sounds weird to say, but not everyone is mentally tough about the whole situation as I am. Like we've handled the miscarriages with a lot of grace and it hasn't actually been that tough because I think I come from a medical family and I understand the science behind it. And that's all it is. It's science. And so for me sharing that, you know, a, it got people to stop asking me about it on an Insta Live, which was incredible. But B, it got people to think about asking other people about it, which was, I think, a huge service I could provide for people because not everyone has the ability to be like, I'm okay. Like, you know, it's, it's much harder on some people. And it's really tough because I think we live in a world where everybody wants to know everyone's business. And I think I wanted to remind people that it's actually none of anyone's business. And if they wanted to share their success or their struggle or whatever it is, it's on them to share it. And we shouldn't be asking people, when are you going to have kids? How many kids do you want? Like you never know what's actually going on behind the scenes. So for me, that was the reason for doing it. And it was actually an incredibly humanizing experience because for the most part, what's got be cooking is very cheerful and bright and sunny and it looks very pretty all the time. And I think this, you know, gave people an extra touch point and reminded them that, oh yeah, she's human too. Like it doesn't always, it's not always perfect. Yeah. Very well said. That's a, that's a great message. Now it must be hard and daunting to have people who look up to you and expect you to be on every day. Do you ever just get exhausted and feel like it's just too much? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I do. I mean, when it comes to food or travel or things like that, no, like it's really fun to do my job, you know, in today's given in today's world and the situation, especially when it comes to like systemic racism and stuff like that, people really expected me to speak out, which I totally did. And I'm so down to do my part, but I'm also not an expert on that. So I'm still learning. So I think, I think I'm very comfortable having people look up to me and things that I feel very comfortable in and that I know I can be an authority in, but I also want to be transparent with people about things that I'm still learning about and educating myself on. So they know that what I say, like I can teach you how to cook a chicken perfectly, but I don't have all the answers to everything. So I'm very honest with my audience when it comes to stuff like that. Do you think there's a silver lining at all with this COVID-19 stay at home crisis that we're in? 
I mean, for me, I think the silver lining has been people are actually learning to cook who never cooked before. You know, we get we get millions of eyeballs on our website every month, but the traffic has skyrocketed since COVID-19 because people who were used to ordering in every night or going out for business meetings every night and never had to cook rice at home all of a sudden had to figure it out because restaurants were closed and there were no more business dinners. So for me, hearing those people gain confidence in the kitchen during this crisis has been so cool because I'm helping them be confident in the kitchen. Yeah, much much needed content and uh, and uh, motivation, mm-hmm. you know, for people. So that's awesome. Uh, do you see yourself as a chef first, who needs to communicate to build your brand, or are you just a communicator who just happens to be a chef? Great question. I think I'm a communicator who happens to be a chef. Uh huh. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. You've uh, like I said, I've known you for a long time. You just have that relational. Um, uh, conversational piece of you that is easy to get to know and easy to feel confident around. So. Thank you. I mean, I think the bottom line for me for What's Bobby Cooking, I just want people to be confident in the in the kitchen and in their lives. And my way of teaching them that confidence is food. So I think that probably enforces my opinion on that. What did you have to develop or get better at to reach your high level of performance and success that you're experiencing now? Um, delegation. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's I was a good one. Not very good at delegating when I first started, and I still struggle with it from time to time because, you know, with the exception of Thomas and Matt and Adam and my very immediate team, I just don't think anyone's going to put as much heart and soul into my business as me. But I also realize in order to continue to in order to continue to grow, I have to be able to trust other people to do the work for me and build a team that understands the brand and is supportive of the brand and wants to further it because that's the only way you can continue to grow. Now, people look at success stories like you and think you probably have never failed at anything. Uh, (laughs) Have you failed and what did you learn from it? Oh man, have I failed? Uh, Yeah, I definitely failed at going to med school. (laughs) Didn't quite make it there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we try things all the time that don't necessarily work. Different kinds of content, ideas that never make it to fruition. Like my, you know, the kind of rule I live by is if you want something done, no one's going to do it for you. You're going to have to go do it yourself and it never hurts to ask. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be a success. Like I might say I want to do X, Y, and Z, and nobody nobody wants to do it with me. So then I'm like, okay, well, how can I pivot this idea and make it a little bit better so someone is going to say yes to it? So yeah, that happens to us frequently, but I think that's part of owning a business and being able to grow and pivot. You know, that makes us so nimble and it's it's great. And I think you're right when you, you know, you, you look at your your life as we th- see it on social media and in your cookbooks and, and whatever. And it's, it's easy to think, Oh my God, you know, she's just got it perfect and nothing bad ever happens or nothing, you know, she, she doesn't fail. And so I think that, uh, that's what you do a good job of, I think is getting people to realize that you are a, uh, just one of us and, and things do happen sometimes and it's not always perfect. Yeah. And being able to roll with the punches, like that's such a skill that I have cultivated over the years and I want other people to be able to cultivate it. So, you know, that's, I mean, the part of sharing the fertility struggles was 
you know, that's a failure, I guess, in and of itself. So I want people to know that I, you can still be happy even though that happens and you can still have a thriving business and a relationship and fun and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when it happens, it happens. But until then, it doesn't mean you have to stop living and thriving and doing the work. Well said. Are you motivated by those who uh, think that you can't do something? Oh, I love it when someone tells me no. Yes, I threat. <laughs> That's the competitiveness in me. I mean, I think, in, and that comes from tennis, from playing tennis for all those years. You know, if I was up against the number one seed and someone's like, oh, good luck. Like, we'll see you afterwards. We'll go out for dinner, you know, whatever. Don't worry about it. I'd be like, um, F you. Like, I'll be back in three hours. I'm going to beat this person. And then... Yes, we will go to dinner. We'll celebrate. It won't be like a pity dinner. So, yeah, I really enjoy proving people wrong. I enjoy, you know, being the first to do something that nobody thought was possible. So I thrive off of that part of the competition. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a good trait to have. I think a lot of successful people do have that. Uh, in my own personal life, I can remember somebody telling me that I didn't have what it took to get into physical therapy school and that I should look at a different career. And uh, you know, I look back on that and think, man, that was motivating in a mm -hmm. weird way, but it, it just pushed me to say, okay, well, then I'll show you. Right. So, uh, you know, we all, um, that competitive drive, and and uh, I think that helps people be successful. So, yeah. yeah. You know, is it, because I've heard you say that you absolutely love food. So is it the food or the social interaction that feeds your soul every day? I think it's bringing people together, which has been challenging during COVID because no one's coming over for dinner right now. But I think there are ways to bring people together over food, even virtually. And for me, it's bringing friends, family, strangers around the table, having funny, interesting, hard conversations. Like that's what food does for people. And, and yes, I happen to be a great cook and I can put a really incredible meal on the table. So it makes those conversations even better but it's definitely the social aspect. I've always been, you know, a social person. I love having friends nearby and traveling with friends and family and hearing different people's perspectives on lives and learning about different cultures. So that's very important to me and what's got me cooking. And, and how does it feel uh, to have all those people out there, you know, watching you do your thing every day? Do you feel like you can have some kind of relationship with them or is it oh, just kind of... They're my friends, like for sure. When, so, when I started, so you have 620,000 friends on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, and, and I talk to <laughs> a lot of them. Like my, I spend hours every day responding to messages and helping people with recipes and talking about funny things and life and whatever it is. But what's even cooler is then when I go out on book tour and they're like, oh, I'm so-and-so and here's my username. I feel like I'm seeing an old friend because we've been talking for years and I've seen my recipes in their kitchen and they've entered giveaways and they tune into Insta Live and all these different things. So yeah, I feel like I've developed a really incredible relationship with a lot of humans all over the world. Do you actually get uh, recognized on the streets sometimes? Oh, yeah. I mean, forget me. Thomas gets recognized all the time now because he's such an <laughs> integral part of my brand. Like, yes, every time we're like at the farmer's market or the grocery store, someone will come up and say hi. But it's the funniest when someone's like, are you Thomas? Like, are you what Thomas eating? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Now, a big part of your passion is travel, which is obviously hard to do now. 
Mm -hmm. So how does travel fit into your business plan? Do you have like sponsorship money that helps you do that? Or do you look at it as an investment for improving your craft? Uh, how, how does the travel piece fit in and how do you make that work? Yeah, we've done it both ways. So we started bringing travel into What's Gotta Be Cooking a couple years ago because my family does this thing every year called Surprise Vacation. We've been doing it since I was a kid. And my parents take us on a trip somewhere. We don't know where we're going. We get clues leading up to it. And then we go have like this amazing adventure together. And I started sharing it on the blog and it was such a smash. Like people loved hearing about it. Um, from there, I just started sharing all the other trips we would go on. And it was, you know, things my parents would take us on, trips Thomas and I would do for the weekend. And it became a really integral part of the What's Gotta Be Cooking brand. And eventually, you know, airline companies, hotel groups caught on and they would ask us if we would come cover South America. Like I've done all these trips with Lawn Tam Airlines and traveled all over South America over the last eight years, sharing the food from all these different cultures because they know that people are going to see it on my website and then recreate the trip, which is so cool to actually see happen in real life because it, yes, it doesn't happen right away. It like takes people a long time to save up enough money to go to Patagonia or go to Peru and hike Machu Picchu or whatever it is. But once they do it and they go travel with the same travel company we went with, or they fly on the same flight we did stay at the same hotel, post about it, tag me. It's like, Oh, cool. Like the people are listening and doing it and having an incredible time as well. So it's one of my favorite new aspects of what's got to be cooking. Now, where you're in a place, uh, let's just say Morocco or, or somewhere mm -hmm. else that's a little exotic and, and you taste something that, that blows your mind, how do you know how to go back and cook that? I mean, do you, do you have to look for someone else's recipe, someone else's recipe first and kind of tweak it? Or do you just have that ability to say, oh, it has this, this, and this, and you can go home and, and recreate yeah, it? Yeah, uh, the second. But I also talk to people who cook it. So when we're in Morocco, I'll talk to the chefs. I'll talk to our tour guides I'll be who, you know, who's, who cook themselves or their wives cook or whatever it is. And we talk so much about food. I think food is such a huge part of travel, especially these days, pre-COVID, you know, we travel to eat. Like that's what Thomas and I do. And I'm so curious about these recipes and I've been developing recipes for so long. I can see something, talk to the chef, talk to an expert, and then go home and recreate it with my spin pretty successfully most of the time. And it's cool then to put those recipes on what's Bobby cooking and allow people to travel via their kitchen when getting on a flight to Morocco might not be in the cards for them for a couple more years. And does it happen sometimes when you all excited to cook a, a dish and you put it together and put a lot of hard work into it and try it and it's just like, oh, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> um, for baking, yes. For savory dishes, no. And I say that, you know, I feel very fortunate that I've been recipe developing now for 10 years. So I can, I know pretty much how, I, I know the science behind testing recipe and developing flavors and textures and all that kind of stuff. So I feel pretty good about the savory foods. Baking is a whole different story. It's a science. And if I'm experimenting with a crazy new, new to me pastry, I will look for other inspiration from other recipes and then use that as a guide while I create. My yeah. Own. That gets back to the organic chemistry thing, like in the lab, uh, right? Yeah. That's a no. <laughs> yeah. <It's> a no. <laughs> 
Now, how did you get a, a partnership with Williams Sonoma, and then you know they run ads on your website and so on? Are you just like a master negotiator too? So for the Williams Sonoma collab, I basically cold called them. I mean, they were definitely familiar with who I was, um, but I called them and I said, "Hey, listen, the next iteration of what's got to be cooking is going to be." a product line. Like I want things that people can touch and use in their kitchen besides my recipes. So like maybe it's salts or maybe it's sauces or who knows what it is, but like, I want you to be able to have something tangible of what's Bobby cooking. And I eventually went up to their headquarters and cooked in their test kitchen for their C-suite and had this incredible lunch and told them about my ideas. And Six months later, maybe four months later, they called me back and they're like, let's do it. Like, this is so cool. You have great ideas. You have such a good energy. Let's try it. And so they gave me a line of salsas that we collaborated on. And I didn't know it at the time, but salsas are one of their hardest performing SKUs to be lucrative on because who's going to buy salsa at Williams Sonoma? Like, let's be real. We all go buy salsa at Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or Ralph's or whatever. And it was mega success. Like we saw, it was their best performing salsa they've ever done. And so I think that for them was like, oh, this, this chick knows what she's talking about. Like she's not, she can actually move product. And from there we've expanded into, you know, I think we have, I don't even know, nine or 10 different seasonings. Now we have cocktail mixes, we have oils, we've done some cool charitable spatula collaborations and then we have a bunch of stuff launching fall 2020 well again another great example of not only do you have the talent to do it but you know you you're willing to take the risk and and ask the question and just uh like you said make a cold call and and take a risk so uh, i think that's really a, a great lesson for everybody in business no matter what they're doing thank you i mean what's the worst that they can say no then you go find someone else. <laughs> exactly. So how do you do, uh, how does What's Got to Be Cooking's team, how do you do strategic planning? Uh, is it just something you, you think of and you, and you get your team together and say, what about this? Or is there a more formal uh, process that you go through from a business sense to figure out uh, what, you, what you're going to do? No, it's pretty casual. It's pretty casual. I mean, the internal team, as far as like Thomas, Matt, Adam, my manager and stuff like that. It's all very fluid. We all have a really great open communication process. So we just kind of bounce ideas off each other. I mean, I have a long-term editorial plan that everything works into. It's very seasonal. Like right now we're focusing on the beginning of summer and Father's Day and grilling will pick up more in July. And everyone kind of knows the cadence of that schedule, which we can plug other things into. Um, and as far as like the collabs go with William Sonoma and that product line, we have such a fluid relationship there as well that they can call me and be like, hey, we're planning 2021. We need 10 ideas. Send them to us by Monday. And I could be like, okay, cool. What are the priorities? What are the stories we're telling next year? Give me some ideas. And then I can go to the table, do the work and send them some concepts. Now I realize that you're young, but do you feel like, do you worry about being able to keep up the pace? Is it a concern? Mm, no. <laughs> that's good. No, I feel like if we need to bring on a larger team, that's very doable. We can easily bring on a larger team. But right now we're having so much fun and we're getting to be super creative and everyone's enjoying themselves so much. So full steam ahead. Well, from a business perspective, this is what I think about. And tell me if I'm crazy, but... 
you know, in the business world, we usually try and say, you know, it's not all about you. You know, you've got a team, you've got other people you're developing, you're bringing it along. But, but in a sense, uh, it is all about you. What's Gobby cooking is Gobby. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you, you just look at uh, thinking, wow, that's not only pressure, it's not only, um, you know, a lot of intensity, but, uh, you know, you, you've got the lasting power that, that you need to keep up as well. So that's a, that's a big charge. Yeah, thank you. It is, but it, it is about me. Like I am the core of the brand, but, and I, I think my audience is very well aware of this without my team, none of it's possible. Like, and I talk about like Matt and Adam and Thomas and these people that are part of my life, Hillary, my manager, everyone knows them by the, on the first name basis. Like they know, you know, what their role is. They know how I'm connected to them. They see them on my social media all the time. And I think they understand that it's a really well-oiled machine. So while I am maybe the focal point of the brand, they know that all these other people play into it on a grand scale. I always have this uh, fantasy, I guess, is like, uh, gee, I'd love to have that person come over for Thanksgiving. So mm -hmm. if you could cook for anyone in the world uh, for Thanksgiving and then sit down at the dinner table and enjoy a meal with them, who would that be? The Obamas. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I don't even know if I could cook. I might just get too nervous, but like, <laughs> I, they, they would be my ideal dinner guests. <laughs> yes, and I can see that. Yeah. So what's next for what's got to be cooking? Um, so we're launching new product this fall with William Sonoma. We'll probably start working on another cookbook. We have another big publishing opportunity in the pipeline that I am not able to say anything about yet. And who knows? I mean, maybe we'll do a TV show. We just launched a podcast. I feel like in the digital media world, sky's kind of the limit. Yeah, it's interesting. You said that your original goal was to, you know, like have a TV show on the Food Network or something like that. And and it's, it's interesting because uh, as someone who has watched the Food Network, you know, it's changed a lot from that learning how to cook, which mm -hmm. I really love because I, I credit that that network for teaching me how to cook and do things. Right. And, uh, and now it's all about competition. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit harder to find, uh, you know, the shows that just generally, uh, uh, teach you how the basics and, and how to make food taste great and look good. Yeah. It's very interesting how they've changed over the years. There's actually a new show coming out on Hulu from Padma from top chef. It's called taste the nation. It's all about experience. It's all about like visiting all these different parts of America and learning about foods that are quote unquote traditional to those areas and realizing that no food is really unique to America. It's all come from immigrants and how we've, you know, incorporated that into our world here. I think that'll be really interesting to learn about how food is made and how it came here and the different cooking techniques. I'm looking forward to that because I agree with you. I haven't watched any sort of educational cooking show for quite some time. You know, and maybe... Uh, here, here's a little idea. Um, maybe you can combine your two passions, your, your cooking and travel. I mean, maybe you can be the next uh, Anthony Bourdain person who dra travels around the world, sees how people are cooking meals, what they're doing, and then you cook with them and sit down and eat together. That'd I mean, cool. I wouldn't say no to that. I've pitched it before. It's apparently very expensive to produce. So I need someone to just sack up and put the money into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you probably wouldn't be home too much either if you did that. Yeah, but Thomas could come. Like, it would be fine. <laughs> 
Well, you two definitely enjoy each other and have seen a lot of the world, which is, is really cool. Yes. What's your favorite place that you've uh, traveled to and, uh, and just think about all the time as being so cool? Um, I think, well, he would tell you his favorite place, I think, in the world has been Patagonia. And I would tell you mine is definitely South Africa and specifically Safari. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, still on my list that oh, I got to get to. You guys yeah, got to go. That's... It was the most magical experience of my entire life. That's awesome. You know, uh, usually at this time in the interview, uh, Gabby, I always ask my guests uh, in relation to leadership, uh, what's your pearl of wisdom? What can you uh, tell us today that is your pearl of wisdom in relation to leadership? I would say figure out what your strengths are run with them. Don't let anyone do them for you and what your weaknesses are and hire people around you that can do that for you. So you can spend your time doing what it is you're best at, because I think that's the best use of everybody's time and surround yourself with people who, you know, fill in the gaps. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Well, Gabby, this has been uh, so much fun and I'm, I'm, I, I can't tell you, I'm, I'm not your parent, but I, I'm so proud of you. It's just, it's, it's, it's awesome <laughs> to see what you and Thomas have accomplished. And, and it's great to have that personal connection, as we mentioned early on the program from way back when, when you were a teenager till now. And so uh, I just can't wait to see what's next. There's uh, so much fun coming up, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully we can come up to Washington soon and enjoy a meal Maybe at the lake house or something special. <laughs> Absolutely. You know I have an outdoor uh, kitchen with a wood-fired oh, oven. Dan and, has uh, showed me photos. <laughs> yeah, so I would love – in fact, I would even promote you should bring up your crew and let's uh, – you could do a, a, a shoot from there and oh my gosh. Uh, have a great scenery. And, uh, and we'll stay out of your way. We'll just, uh, we'll just watch you do your thing. Well, that would be really special. One day when we're all getting back on airplanes, I'm taking you up on that. Okay, that's for sure. Well, thanks again, <laughs> Gabby. This has been so fun. Say hi to Thomas for me. He's a great Thank guy. Thank you. I Ditto miss, to the fam. Yeah, I miss seeing him and uh, and your mom and dad, too, that I've met. And so uh, good luck in the future and keep doing what you do. And uh, we're all behind the scenes just cheering you on every, every step of the way. You're awesome. Thanks, Steve. Okay, Gabby. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com and that is orange the word.coaching.com and go to the media center and click on podcasts or video gallery you can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com mm-hmm.